0: Let us bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you, we thank you so much for the blessings of the Sabbath, of this day, of the assembly, all that you provide and all that you've provided. We uh, pray that you'd be with your people today and we would ask a special prayer for uh, Jack Seifert and uh, with uh, his fall and to all those also hurting and uh, looking to you for Yahweh B'Refah, looking for you as their provider and healer. Father, we thank you and we praise you now and we give you all glory. We recognize it all belongs to you, and we pray that what we do this day and throughout our days would be pleasing to you, and we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to be here today, a blessing to see everybody here. I'd like to also greet those online. We know that there's uh, those watching online as well, or today, as you probably uh, guessed through the uh, slide... I want to continue with the uh, series, The Fruits of the Spirit. Today we're going to focus on uh, the next one, and that is a gentleness, a gentleness. Now before we do that, delve into this uh, fruit, I want to review Galatians 5 as a whole. So Galatians 5, verse 22 through 23, again, says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, As I've mentioned before, these nine attributes really form the foundation, the bedrock of what it is to be a believer Messiah. You know, if we desire to emulate and follow in the footsteps of our Savior, then we must, and I emphatically say must, adopt and live by the characteristics we find here. You know, I've said it before, it's not enough to simply keep the Sabbath and commandments like this. We must go beyond this and also focus on the inside, you know, changing who we are on the inside. It's so important. You know, Yahshua in Matthew 23, he uh, chastises there the Pharisees and scribes, and the uh, passage is known as the seven woes. Or within it, Yahshua speaks about the weightier matters. And uh, there he defines the weightier matters as a judgment, mercy, and faith. I believe that the attributes we also see here in Galatians would also be considered the weightier matters. And the weightier matters simply meaning that they are more important because, again, it's focused on the inside, the person we are inwardly. So as believers, we should always be pursuing the weightier matters, living and applying and adopting what we find within the word. Now, does this mean, just for a moment, that the Sabbath, and again, commandments like this, are not important or unimportant? Well, the answer is obviously no. We know that Yahweh's commandments are critically important, that they are vital to his word. We know that Yahshua, the apostle Paul, all the other apostles, they observed these commandments and and, uh, others like them. You know, for instance, we know that the the apostles and, and Paul, They observed the Sabbath. You know, we see multiple examples of Paul observing the Sabbath in the New Testament. And that's an amazing thing for a lot of people because they just assume Paul Paul left that and began observing Sunday. And that's not what we find scripturally. What we find is that he observed the Sabbath. In fact, in uh, Acts 17, uh, chapter 18, there in 17, it says it was his manner to do this. It was the way he worshipped. So these... Commandments are very important. Now, let me ask, is it possible, though, for us to observe these things and yet still miss the mark? Still not be found worthy of the prize that awaits the called and chosen? Or, You know, based on the uh, example of the scribes and Pharisees, I believe that this is a real, very real scenario. I believe that we can go through the motions, and we can keep the Sabbath, and we keep the feast days, and we keep Yahweh's commandments, and at the end of the day, we can still miss the mark. And the way we miss the mark is not changing who we are on the inside, And that's, again, why these these attributes, these characteristics are considered the weightier matters, because, again, these are the things that count. Not not that the other things don't count, but these are vitally important based on the word. So, yes, it is possible, I believe, to lose our, our position based on not adopting these characteristics, not really ever focused on changing who we are on the inside. And, again, that's why I'm doing this series, to really focus on, what the Word says about love and joy and peace and long suffering and and all these other great fruits of the Spirit. Today, again, I want to focus on on the next one on the list, and that's gentleness. So we're going to speak today about gentleness and what it is, what it is not. To begin with, what does the word mean? What does the word mean? And we're going to look at the Greek. So the Greek, as you see on the slide here, comes from the Greek word krestos, and according to Strong's means a usefulness. And here's it also goes on to say and refers to moral excellence in character or demeanor. Now, I think it's real important to note here that this word, Greek word, in addition to conveying this thought of usefulness, it also conveys this concept of moral excellence, excellent character, excellent demeanor. You know, this is the only fruit I believe that conveys this idea of Upright, moral character. I was kind of surprised to see it in Strong's. I've never noticed that. But again, when we, when we exhibit this attribute, Scripture says, the Greek says, that we are showing moral, excellent character. Now, from the Therese Greek lexicon, we find that this word also refers to moral goodness, or integrity, or virtues. What integrity is? Virtue. Goodness. It says it also refers to benignity, which is a kindness, so from Thayer's, we see this concept again of moral goodness, moral goodness or, or excellence in our behavior, our demeanor. Very important to recognize. You know, based on these definitions, this fruit, of course all of them are, but this fruit is, is crucial. It is crucial that we understand this and that we adopt it and we live by it. And, and you know, it's, it's so important that we understand these things more than academically. We can understand a lot of things academically, but if we're not applying what we find here, we're really missing the mark. So it's not only about understanding these things academically, but also applying them. Now, another reason for this importance is we know, based on the word, that Yahweh, our Father in Heaven, and Yahshua the Messiah, our Savior, exemplified this attribute. Now, I'm going to look at just a few examples today. First example is in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. It says, O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your Elohim, your mighty one. Behold, my sovereign Yahweh will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them into his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Now, this is a prophecy that Isaiah, the prophet, delivered to the people of Israel. And as we see here, it's a prophecy of hope, a prophecy of deliverance. You know, Isaiah prophesied here that Yahweh would gather his people as a shepherd gathers the flock. It says here that the shepherd, as a shepherd gathers the lambs, that Yahweh with his mighty arms would gather his people into his bosom. You know, the uh, imagery we see here, I believe, conveys the closeness that our Father has for those whom he calls his people. You know, for me, it also shows his loving and and gentle nature, even though Israel and Judah continually rebelled against him, and we know that you know you look at the history of Israel and people they think of the Israelites and they have this notion of of um, of righteousness and and um, continuity, them faithfully following Yahweh. You know, if you look at the history of Israel, they spent more years in rebellion, I believe, than than years in conformance to his word. So in many ways Israel's not not a great example, and while he punished them and at times even pushed them away, he never removed all hope. he never removed all hope. You know as we know from prophecy also that it says in Ezekiel and in other places Jeremiah, that Yahweh will again restore his people back to their land as a promise, as a messianic promise we find within the word. In fact, it's really one of the greatest messianic promises we find, that he's going to gather the people of Israel all throughout the earth. It says he's going to bring them back to their land, and he's going to give them that land once more. I want to consider one more passage, and uh, Psalms 103 is one of my favorite psalms, and I want to begin there with verse 8. Psalms 103, 8 through 13 says, Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so Yahweh pities them that fear him. You know, this passage gives me a lot of hope. Again, it's one of my favorite passages within Scripture. It says here that Yahweh is merciful. It says here that He's gracious and that He's slow to anger. We also see here that He removes our sins as far as East is from the West and that He has compassion upon us as a father has compassion upon his children. You know, for me, this has special value, this last point. You know, being a father of two daughters, I know the compassion and love I have for them. And to know how Yahweh looks upon us in the same way is comforting to me. And I would hope it would be comforting to you as well. You know, many people believe that Yahweh, the Old Testament, they have this warped view. They believe that he was cruel and unkind and that he unjustly punished those and nothing could be further from the truth. He was and is and will remain a very gentle Elohim as we find throughout scripture now does this mean that he never punished Israel of course not he punished Israel many times he brought Judah into Babylonian bondage he uh, delivered the uh, 10 northern king kingdom or ten, the, the 10 northern nations to uh, the uh, Syrians so he certainly showed punishment but he also showed mercy and kindness you know as we see in the book of Hebrews within the New Testament It says there, those whom Yahweh loves, she rebukes and chastens. You know, I think we forget that as a culture because, frankly, we don't believe that anymore. We don't believe that it's good to rebuke and chasten people. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We think correction is a bad thing. That's not what we find within the word. Yahweh says, those whom he loves, she rebukes and chastens. And he did that for Israel of old. So even when he was punishing Israel, it was a show of of kindness. You know, as his people were to follow in these examples, as he showed mercy and grace and a gentleness, we're to do the same. And we're to show that to one another and also to those around us. Now, we also know that our Savior showed, showed up mercy, and he was also gentle in, in how he responded to those in the New Testament. You know, we see lots of examples. I want to share one, and I'll give you some quick examples beyond that. So Matthew 11, something we're all familiar with, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It says, uh, come, up, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy burden or laden, and I will give you rest. You see, that's a promise that our Savior gave. He said that if we devote our lives to Him, if we give our lives to Him, that He's going to give us rest. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've said it before, matter of fact, in the series, I've talked about this about the casting our cares unto Yahweh. You know, giving him our cares, giving him our stress, giving him all that, that, that bothers us. Or the same thing here. Yahshua says that, that he can give us rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me says, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So what does Yahshua say here? He says that he is meek and lowly in heart, and that we can find rest through him. And again, that's such a great promise we find in the word. Now, instead of meek and lowly in heart, the NIV says uh, gentle and humble. You know, we see many examples of Yahshua showing gentleness, Yahshua showing kindness, throughout his ministry, especially though to those who did not know the truth. And that's one of the most remarkable things we find within Scripture. He showed a tremendous amount of mercy who, to those who, who simply did not understand. In fact, his uh, biggest adversaries were the pompous phar- pharisaical leaders of his day. Those are the folks he really had an issue with. You know, for these guys, he had nothing but disdain. They were only concerned about the outward appearance. They were only concerned about how much Maybe he would tie that anise, or maybe they were concerned about the Sabbath, or maybe they were concerned, but it was always the outward appearance that they were concerned with. They were not concerned about the inward man, about how we should change ourselves in the inside. You know, but for others, we see many examples of where he showed compassion and gentleness. I want to give you just a quick list here. I thought about going through these, but for sake of time, I decided just to put a bulleted list here, so... Here's a few quick examples of Yahshua the Messiah, our Savior's compassion, his gentleness, his kindness that he showed throughout his ministry. So we see in Matthew 14, 14, he fed the multitude with five loaves and two fishes. They were hungry. Matthew 15, 32, really the same thing, except this time he fed the multitude with seven loaves and a few fishes. So again, he showed compassion on those people. Mark. Chapter 6, verse 34 says there specifically that he was moved with compassion for the people because they knew not, so he taught them. He helped them understand. Luke 5, verse 13 it shows there that he healed a man with leprosy. Again, showing that compassion. Now, Luke chapter 5, verse 32, it, we see there that Yahshua stated that he came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. And you know, that's a really important point, by the way. Yashua again, had a tremendous amount of patience and, and love and in, in compassion and kindness for, for those who we would deem sinners. Yahshua said that he came not for the righteous, but he came for the sinners, for those who did not know, for those who needed help. And as believers, we're again to follow in our Savior's examples, in his footsteps. You know, as he was hospitable, as he was compassionate, as he was gentle, we must also adopt and live by these attributes. Or again, we're going to miss the mark. We're going to miss the mark. Now the Apostle Paul 2 Timothy 2 verse 24 also speaks about the need for kindness. There in that passage he says, and the servant of the master must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, The fellow heme preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the sneer of the devil, who are taken captive by him At his will. So Paul speaks here about servants of the Master. Do you consider yourself a servant of the Master? Do you consider yourself as a servant of Yahshua and Messiah? You should. And if we do, what we find here then applies to you and I, it applies to us. So, what is Paul's message? Where he says here, not to strive, not to strive. But he goes on to say, but be gentle unto all men. Now, what does it mean to strive? Within the Greek, the word strive means to, uh, to argue or to have a dispute. So Paul says here, we're not, we're not to uh, argue or dispute, but we're to be gentle. And in the Greek, again, this refers to kindness. We're to be kind to one another. Notice that this call for kindness is not only for believers, You know, some people will say we should be kind to one another. We should be kind to one another. And I think the emphasis is always among those within the assembly. But Paul says that we must go beyond this. He says this refers to all men. All men is all men. All men goes beyond the folks we have in this room and those listening. All men is all men, and that would include everybody we come in contact with. He says that we should show this. Kindness, and again, I strive not to be a contentious person, but again, to show gentleness as we find within the word. You know, I believe that this would also include our enemies. We know that what Joshua said, what the Messiah said, he said that we were prayed for, to, to uh, pray for enemies, that we were to love our enemies, not to uh, not remove them. And again, I want to go back to the Greek word here for for this gentleness. Keep in mind in the Greek. This, again, conveys this idea of, of an excellent moral character or demeanor. I think that's really important to point out. Who doesn't want moral, excellent character? I think everybody wants excellent character, moral character that really stands out. We're here in the Word, we find that to achieve this, we must show gentleness. That's what the Word says. So what else do, do we find here? Where he says, Paul, that we should be willing to teach. But do so, he says, in a spirit of meekness or humbleness. Meekness or humbleness. You know, by witnessing in this way, he says that we might, they might repent. And when they repent, they're going to acknowledge the truth. But it's important that we approach it the right way. You know, this is an, an important lesson for those of us who witness, who share Yahweh's truth. You know, while we should be bold when we share the truth, and, and when I say bold, we should not be ashamed of it. Some people are kind of sheepish about it. And it's hard. It's a hard message because, frankly, we're we're certainly going against the stream. But we should be bold in the sense that we should not shy away. We should stand in confidence knowing that what we are saying conforms to Scripture. But saying that, we should be bold, but we should also also be humbled. We should also be humbled. We should avoid strife. You know, if we witness in a way that brings a strife or conflict, even if we win the argument and some of us are like this right we want to win and we want to win at all cost even if we win if we've done so with strife or conflict we've lost the debate and that's an important truth to keep in mind we can't approach something to win something we have to approach something in the right way with the right intent you know when we witness it's not about winning it's about sharing the truth and setting forth an example that would exemplify our Savior, Yahshua. You know, by the way, this would also include the social media. Our behavior in social media should be the same as if we're speaking to that person in person, in face, and we're, we're right there with them. There should be no difference in how we communicate with somebody in person as we do on social media. And you know, the reason I say this is I see a lot of abuse on social media including some who believe in the Messiah. Instead of approaching someone with compassion and humility, we do so with aggression and pride because we can. Well, we can, but we shouldn't. Again, in this case, case, even if we win the argument, I believe that we've lost the debate and uh, we've uh, acted in a way that is a poor example for our Savior. So I would encourage everybody, those on social media, to... uh, Remember this to keep this in mind. You know when we're witnessing the truth, when we're when when we have a dialogue or a debate, do so with humbleness, as we find here within the Word. Ephesians uh, four verse one, we're told to walk in, in in meekness or gentleness. I want to read that. Ephesians chapter four one through three it says, "I therefore, the prisoner of the master, beseech you that you walk worthy." Notice that word worthy. Worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called with all lowliness and meekness. Now, meekness can also mean gentle here. Meekness, gentle. With long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul begins here by acknowledging that he is and was a prisoner of who? It says he was a prisoner of Yahshua the Messiah. You know, the fact is, we're all prisoners of the Messiah. And that's a real, really an important point to understand. You know, as we see from the Bible, we were purchased with his blood. That's what scripture says. We were bought and we were purchased with his blood and we belong to him. And for that reason, we must live like him. Now, there are some pompous believers out there who will say things like, Well, I belong to nobody. I'm my own person i'm a servant to no one you know for those who believe this let me assure you that we are all servants to someone or to something whether we realize it whether we know it we are all servants to something you know as we see in romans 6 one of my favorite verses there in romans or passages it says there that we are either servants to righteousness or to yahweh or we are either or servants to sin you see we get to choose but we will serve something but we get to choose one, as we know, leads to life everlasting. The other one leads to death. So if we serve Yahweh, if we follow him, if we pursue righteousness, scripture says that we're going to receive everlasting life. Scripture also says that if we choose to serve sin, that if we are defiant to our Father in heaven, that we will inevitably receive death. So as believers, it's crucial that we realize that we're servants and prisoners of Yahweh the Messiah. We belong to him, and we will serve something, I can assure you. So what else do we find here from Paul? Where it says that we're to walk worthy of our vocation, wherein we've been called. This is another common misnomer a lot of people have. You know, many people have this notion that you you, you speak this word worthy, and that's a form of legalism. It's not a form of legalism. We find it right here in Scripture. You know, as believers, once we've been redeemed or justified from our sins, scripture says that we're to live a holy, that we're to live a piety, that we're to live according to his word. And that's what it means to live in righteousness, to live in to worthiness, of, to, to live according to his word. This is an obligation we have as believers. So this is not a form of legalism. It is a calling we all have as believers. So how do we do this? How do we live a life worthy? Well, we know that we must keep the commandments as part of it. We must obey the Sabbath, we must obey the feast days, we must do the commandments. But we also see here specifically that Paul says that we're also to walk in a lowliness or meekness, long-suffering. And he goes on, he closes here by saying, forgiving one another in love. So these are the things we're to do if we're going to be found worthy of his truth. Now the word lowliness here refers to humbleness. You know, I've said many times in the past, humility is a must-have believers in the Messiah. If we think that we're going to receive our reward, or we're going to be found worthy of the kingdom, if we're not humbled, think again. Humility is so important. So important that we understand this. This concept, again, of humility and what it means according to the word. Now, the NIV renders this word the, the word meekness here, as gentle. So again, this gentleness, this meekness, this kindness that we find. So we see a call here for being gentle in our behavior. Let me ask you, when, you, um, when it comes to uh, how we interact with one another, those in this assembly, and maybe even those in the world, do we show a spirit of meekness or, and, and gentleness, or do we show a spirit of aggression and agitation which one do we show? Do we show benevolence? Do we show grace? Do we show compassion? Again, do we show gentleness or, or do we show aggression and, and strife and conflict? Which one do we show? Paul closes here by saying that we should forbear one another in love. And he says, keep a spirit of unity that brings peace. You know, we see here three very important points, I believe. Number one, Paul says we're to forbear. And what does that mean, to forbear? Forbear. Or simply means that we're to forgive. So Paul says that we must forgive one another. Now, what does it mean to forgive? You now, so many of these words we, we say it, and I think we, we sort of understand what it is, but we don't always understand the full implication, the full meaning, the full definition, what it really includes. So, what is what does it mean as uh, scripturally to forgive? where well, it means. Number one, that we must let go of hostility and bitterness, even when we've been wronged in some way. And that's a really hard thing for some people to do. You know, when they've been wronged, it's very hard for them to let go. Let go of that hatred. Let go of that animosity. Let go of the, those hurt feelings. The scripture says we must. So that's one part of forgiveness, letting go. It also means, if possible, that we should seek reconciliation, that we should try to mend that relationship. Now, I've said in the past, I believe forgiveness is two parts. Again, the one is letting go of that animosity. Second one is that reconciliation. We can't always reconcile. We know that. Reconciliation requires both parties. But we should pursue it. We should try. Now, what does it mean to love? You know, there's not a better passage Providing a definition of love then for 1 Corinthians 13. I want to just read a little bit there. It says, here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. That is how the Bible defines love. Love is not this emotion. Not only. I mean, certainly love is an emotion. But love is so much more than that. Love is, is, is our selflessness. Love is our willingness to forgive, as we see here. Love is putting ourselves down and putting other people up. Love is not boasting about our accomplishments. Love is, is not being rude or short with people. This is what love is based on Scripture. It's not self-seeking. It's not somebody that's flying off the handle constantly. And it's not a person, as we see, that keeps a record of wrongs. Some people are very bad about this very bad about this we should not if we say that we're we forgive we should forgive and let go not keep a tally of of those wrongs we've done in the past so as believers this is how we were to show love to one another now when we show this forgiveness and and love as we see in scripture it produces something and what it produces it says here's a spirit of unity and peace you see it this all builds If we show these attributes and ending with love and forgiveness, the result is unity and peace. Now, there's no greater achievement for an assembly than to achieve these things. Achieve this peace within an assembly and unity, concord. You know, but for this to happen, all members of that assembly must adopt and live by the characteristics I believe we find here and also within the fruits of the Spirit. If we don't, we're not going to achieve that, that perfect unity and peace as we find throughout Scripture. You know, if there's one member, even one member chooses to show something other than forgiveness and love, this can really bring havoc within the assembly. And it removes that peace and unity within it. So I would encourage everyone in this room and those listening to self-reflect, just for a moment, self-reflect and ask yourself, am I living the values that we find here within this passage, or does my behavior bring division and conflict? Consider that for just a moment. Am I living the values that we find within this passage? Am I living the value of love and forgiveness and gentleness as we find here? Now, we see a similar passage to this in Colossians. I want to read Colossians uh, 3. It's from the NIV. It says, uh, 12 through 14, Therefore, as always chosen people, holy and dearly beloved or loved. clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as Yahweh forgave you. Such an important point, by the way. Forgive as Yahweh forgave you. And over all all these virtues, put on love. As we know, love is the greatest, according to Paul, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, as we saw in Ephesians, Paul here calls for virtues. He mentions compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, gentleness, what we're reviewing today, and patience. You know, I can't say enough how important it is that we live by the attributes we find here. And again, that we adopt the fruits of the spirit we find within the word. You know, when it comes to our salvation and our position within the kingdom, I really do believe I really do believe that these items will either make or break us. I don't believe that our salvation is assured simply because we can keep the Sabbath or the feast days or that we can abide by the clean foods. We must go beyond this. We must go beyond that. You know, Yahweh is looking for the cream of the crop. He's looking for the best. To be the best, to be found worthy, we must not only obey the commandments, but also emulate who our Savior was within the word. And our Savior kept the commandments, but he also exemplified the values and the ethics we're speaking about and we're reviewing today. Paul goes on here to say that if we have a grievance, that if we have a complaint, that if we have an issue against someone that we're to forgive them as Yahweh forgave us. You know, I'm going to ask you once more to self-reflect and, and, uh, and, and ask do I hold a grievance? Do I hold animosity? If we do, I would encourage you to let go. You know, holding on to animosity, hatred is not healthy. It's not healthy for us. And it's not something Yahweh wants. He wants us to forgive and to move on. Now as we saw in Ephesians, Paul closes here by speaking about love and unity. Isn't it amazing that the continuity we find within the word? the pattern you know as we've already talked about this is such an important concept for the assembly again are we living these values again I would encourage you to to think about this and ask yourself am I living the values am I living love and unity and compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience am I doing these things or am I missing the mark now, in addition to Paul, Peter also speaks about these things. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, again from the NIV, it says, But in your heart set apart Messiah, as sovereign. Always be prepared to give it an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. For the hope. This is a premise of salvation, of eternal life, that, that we must be able to respond why we believe. So it says, a hope that you have. But how are we to do it? It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, Peter here is um, speaking about witnessing the word. You know, based on this, how should this be done? You know, he says here when we witness, we should witness with gentleness, gentleness and respect. When it comes to how we share Yahweh's word, I believe that many of us, again, miss the mark. You know, we're zealous, we're passionate, our intentions are right, but I think oftentimes we witness in a way that is aggressive and produces further aggravation and agitation. Now, what is a result of sharing the truth in this way? Or more often than not, this contention will, will turn the person off and... There will be no future dialogue because, again, we wanted to win, but in winning, we lost. You know, for those who knew me in my late teens and 20s, you know that I was guilty of doing this. As I sometimes put it, when I witnessed the word or I was enforcing I was word, my approach was to take and consider or look for the biggest two-by-four I could find, beat them over the head with it until they were bloody and worn down. But, you know, metaphorically, of course, by the way. Over the years, though, I've changed my approach. I realize that finding that two by four and beating them until they're bloody and worn down is not always the best approach. Sometimes we need to use compassion. Sometimes we need to use a little bit of diplomacy. You know, some people hear diplomacy and they kind of see that as a weakness. I've always seen diplomacy as a strength. Because we get things done when we use diplomacy, when we use a little bit of compassion, smoothness. You know, Paul, he was a diplomatic man. If anybody wants to sort of see what diplomacy is in action, look at Paul. I mean, he was a very, very diplomatic man in the way he would minister. As a minister, I do the same thing when dealing with problems and disciplinary issues. You know, just because you're disciplining someone doesn't mean you have to beat them over the head with it you know, you can approach it with kindness and, and compassion and hopefully get good results. You know, hopefully they, they see the error and they, they repent and, and you can set things in the right. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes they have to, uh, there's a, a departure and, and uh, sometimes that's all you can do. But you should certainly try to do the other. So the lesson here is pretty simple. When we witness the good news, we should witness in a way, again, that shows gentleness and, and respect. This includes, by the way, again, social media. I just want to hammer that just for a moment, emphasize that point, because, again, I've seen a lot of abuse. I continue to see a lot of abuse. Because, you know, I think human beings, when we're behind a screen and and not in person, we feel empowered. Or just because we feel empowered and just because we can do things behind the screen and say certain things a certain way doesn't make it right. So, again, I would encourage everybody, just because we're behind the, the screen that we should not be short, rude, or aggressive in the way we communicate. And again, that includes social media. Now, in Galatians 6, starting in verse 1, Paul speaks about how we should restore someone back to the faith. And again, this is from the NIV. It says uh, 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you, are, you who are spiritual should restore him. How? Gently, it says. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Messiah. If anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. There's a lot of self-deluded people out there, isn't there? There, There's a lot of people who think there's something else. Scripture says if we think that we're something else, we're deceiving ourselves, because at the end of the day, we're nothing. We're nothing. I don't care what position you are. I don't care the prestige of a mass. I don't care the, the wealth you have. We are all pathetic, and we are all nothing in the eyes of our Father in heaven. So, as each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Paul says here that if someone is, is in a situation of sin, he that is spiritually minded. And guided by the Holy Spirit, should restore him gently. Now, what is the situation Paul is speaking about here? Where he's referring, I believe, to someone in the assembly that is in some state of sin, doing something wrong, and he's referring to how we should handle this situation. So, in this case, how should we handle it? He says that, again, we should restore that person to the assembly showing gentleness. Showing gentleness. That's how we should try to restore that person. So how is this done? Again, it's done by showing kindness. Now the word gently in the uh, Greek refers to mildness, meekness. So one, another synonym for meekness is humbleness or humility. These are some of the attributes, some of the characteristics we should be showing when trying to help somebody recover from some sort of sinful situation. So if we see someone in the assembly in a sinful situation, we're to work with them in a way that shows Kindness or, again, gentleness. Now, if a person doesn't respond to this, they continue in the sin, or then we must look to other means. You know, we know that inevitably we cannot allow sin to remain within the assembly. So if we see a situation, we must deal with that situation. But, again, we first should use kindness or meekness or gentleness as we find here. I want to go back to Colossians and read what Paul says, this time, chapter 4, verse 5. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. It says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, keeping yourself busy. Let your speech be always with grace, he says, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So, what does it mean here? ...with what Paul is saying. Where he says, number one, let, let, let our speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. To the grace, this word is from the Greek chorus. It refers to graciousness and Yahweh's influence upon our heart. So Yahweh, or we find here through his word, through Paul, that when we see something like this... ...that we're to use a graciousness, that we're to, that we're to use Yahweh's word and his influence... Now, here's what Barnes' note says about this uh, phrase, seasoned with salt. It says, quote, salt among the Greeks was the emblem of wit. Here the meaning seems to be that our conversation should be seasoned with piety or grace in a way similar to to that in which we employ salt in our food. It makes it wholesome and palatable. So with our conversation, if it is not imbued with the spirit of piety, it is flat, insipid, unprofitable, injurious. The spirit of piety that make it what it should be, what it, what what it should be useful, agreeable, and beneficial to mankind. So, based on Barnes' notes, this phrase here, "seasoning or season with salt," refers to showing a balance of piety or kindness in our speech. And one way we do we do this is by being gentle, by being gentle, showing gentleness when we when we say things, kindness. So as believers, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we communicating in this way at home? You know, do we communicate this way with our spouses? Or are we short and aggressive? What we find here applies not only here, but also at home. And of course, are we doing this here within within the assembly? Communicating this way with grace? seasoned with salt? You know, if not, I would encourage you to consider how you might improve on your communication. You know, realize that if we're being rude or offensive with one another, we're falling short as believers and maybe even as spouses. Because again, this not only applies here, but I believe also applies in our home life. So are we communicating with our spouses in a way that shows grace, in a way that shows piety, in a way that shows humility and meekness? We should be, if not. Yahweh, again, is looking for the cream of the crop and whether we realize it or not, what we say and how we say it matters. Again it's not about just going through the rigmarole the actions of the commandments they're important but so is what we say and how we say it. So again let us use grace and piety when we communicate here and also at home. I'm going to close now with Micah. Micah chapter 6, 7 through 8. Here's what the prophet says it says well Yahweh be pleased with thousands of rams with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of thee? Now listen, this is Old Testament, and this is what Yahweh requires from us. He says, "What to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly, With your Elohim. You know, for me, this is one of the most important passages we find in the Old Testament. The prophet Micah is asking one very simple but crucial question. He's asking, how do we please the one we worship? How do we do it? How do we make Yahweh happy? What is he looking for? What does he want from us as his people, as his believers? You see here in Micah that he's saying he's going to be happy with all these offerings. Or maybe we can give our firstborn for our transgression. How about that? No, he says Yahweh's not interested in that. Yahweh's not interested in all these rams and all these the oil and in our firstborn. No. He's looking for something different. He's looking for something different. So how do we please him? Where well, he explains here that we do so by doing what is good. Doing what is justly, he says. Doing loving mercy, and finally, he says, walking humbly with him. You know, for a moment, I want to explore each one of these for just a just a few moments. What, what it means with each one. So the word uh, justly here is from the Hebrew mishpat, it refers to a verdict or some sort of judicial decision. If you it's a very long definition and strongs, but really it's just a verdict. You know, this word for me, the intent is to abide by and apply Yahweh's commandments judiciously. In other words, doing the right things and making the right decisions based on what he says within the word. That's what he says. That's what I believe this refers to, this justly, this, this again concept of doing things judiciously. He also says here that we should love mercy. What does mercy mean? Well, the word mercy is from the Hebrew kasid, refers to kindness, refers to piety, And how we treat one another. You know, as we've seen throughout this series, as believers, we're to be kind. We're to show compassion and mercy to our fellow men. Especially, though, to those in the assembly. You know, I believe that this is so important that we have a spirit of grace here. That we have a spirit of kindness here. That we have a spirit of unity here. And listen, we're people, so we're not perfect. And there's always going to be issues. I know that. I've been at this way too long not to realize that there's going to be issues. But I don't think that that means we can't pursue peace, that we can't pursue piety, that we can't pursue compassion, that we can't pursue gentleness as we find throughout the word. You know, human nature is human nature, but as believers, we should always be striving to be better than who we are today. So for a moment, self-reflect one more time and ask, am I showing the kindness? Am I showing the gratefulness the gentleness to those in my family at home and also to those here in this assembly. Think about it. Now he concludes here by saying that we're to walk humbly before our Elohim. So this is the third requirement here. The word humbly comes from the Hebrew zanah, and is a primitive root, and it means to humiliate. Strong defines us as to humiliate. You know, it's so important as believers that we humble ourselves before our Father in Heaven. You know, we need to remember that He is our Creator. You know, He, he brought, every, inevitably, He brought everything into being. We need to remember that He's supreme. We need to remember that there's nothing beyond Him. That He is all-knowing, that He is all-powerful. And for this reason, we need to always show fear and reverence to Him. You know, the Bible says that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know if you caught that or not. In Proverbs, it says that multiple times. The fear of Yahweh. You know, some people, by the way, and it's kind of a soapbox of mine, but some say that fear only means reverence or we're to show respect. No, fear means fear. You know, Scripture says that the word to work out our, our salvation. It says, and fear and trembling. That's not just reverence. We don't tremble when we just show respect. We tremble when we're afraid. So Yahweh says that we're to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And as we see here, and as we know from the word, that we are to humble ourselves. And part of this is showing reverence and also fear. You know, if we walk in pride and refuse to acknowledge Yahweh's greatness, his supremacy, then we will never be found worthy of his promise. And that's just a fact. I mean, it's not even even a debate. We need to show reverence to the one we worship. We need to humble ourselves before the one we worship. And we need to show proper fear and respect to him. Now, again, I would ask you to consider this. You know, are we living these values? You know, are we doing justly? Do we, as believers, love mercy or kindness or gratefulness, gentleness? You know, are we walking humbly before the one we worship? You know, if we're falling short or one, in one more of these areas, I would encourage you to consider why and how we can improve. You know, realize that what we're talking about, in my opinion, is a matter of life and death. I really believe that. What we're talking about is a matter of life and death. Our character and how we interact with one another and, and with Yahweh really matters. It counts. And it's not something we should throw to the side it's not something we should disregard as unimportant. We need to realize the value of what the word says because as we see throughout this series, you could write many, many books on this topic of, of virtue and, and how we converse and how we show these values to one another. And you know, I pray that this message on, on gentleness, on kindness, has been a blessing to you. You know, as a minister, I feel very strongly that as believers, we must strive to change the values we live by. We must strive to change the way we interact with one another. And again, home and here. We must strive to be better and show more compassion, show more mercy. And that doesn't mean compromise, by the way. But show that, that forgiveness, that agape, that love that we find through the word. It's not enough, again, to simply keep the Sabbath and other commandments. We must press beyond this and adopt the characteristics that we find in Scripture and that exemplifies our Savior and our Father in heaven. So let us consider what we've heard today and how we might become better disciples, better people through the values and through the ethics of Yahweh's word. May Yahweh bless you.